Welcome to the Mike Bowie Show, where we talk with people who influence people. Hi, and welcome back to the show. You are listening to People Who Influence People. My name is Mike Bauer, your host. And today I have um, a special guest. And I will tell you guys listening that it's been a while since I've done a new episode. And I'm sorry for that. I've missed you. And, um, but I'm excited to be back with this, this great guest who is a powerhouse in the community of mental health, of faith, um, kind of a spitfire. I just met her for the first time, gave her a tour of my business. We're recording this podcast in my office. And um, she asked some questions about me, and I told her a little, but I didn't ask any about her yet because I wanted to record the answers. So, ladies and gentlemen, Christy Bulware, uh, Bulware, oh, we just went over this. I mispronounced it you right out it of the great. gate. You did it great. You did it great. So, Christy, welcome. Thank you, Mike. It's so good to be here. I'm, I'm a little uh, excited and nervous all in the same good. time. That's I don't know perfect. what you got up in your head that you're going to ask me, but I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm so uh, my assistant, Rachel, set this up for us. And um, Christy had asked, hey, you know, do you want to send the questions over? So I sent her a list of questions. And the truth <laughs> is, this list of questions is just a bunch of like, what's your favorite color? Do you have any pets? What's your favorite childhood memory? Stuff like that. I rarely answer, ask those questions, but she didn't read them anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I do want to get to know you on the, uh, you know, we're connected on Facebook. I don't know how. Yeah, we can't figure that out. But we have some things in common. We have faith in common, and that's the most powerful connection. Uh, we have some mutual friends. Uh, according to Facebook, I think we have 101 <laughs> mutual friends. Some wow. of those could be real. <laughs> They actually could be. Okay. But um, so the first question I ask every guest is, what's it like to be Christy Bulware? Oh, boy. What's it like to be Christy Bulware? Well, she's first um, a wife to an amazing man named Troy. I could not do what I do without him. And then I'm mom. I'm a mom to some amazing children. Yeah, you and have three children. We do. We have three. Two and one, right? Uh, two boys. Yep. And one, one girl. Yep. Yeah. About ready to hit the driving situation with my oldest. Oh, yeah. boy. Yeah, yeah. So. It's going to be okay. I have two driving now. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, I'll get all the advice from you later then. That well, you should good. ask my wife. She's, she's a smart one. She's a better teacher than I am. Seriously, my um, oldest, Patrick, when when he started driving, yeah, well, we, we, come up, we came up with motorsports, you know, four-wheelers, motorcycles, mm-hmm. all the things, right? We got all the toys. And uh, so they're pretty good drivers. But I have this um, old Mercedes Coupe Roadster. Okay. It's a six-speed automatic, or six-speed standard, six-speed standard. And, uh, of course, my wife can drive a stick shift. I can drive a stick shift, but her kids never have. I tried teaching Patrick how to drive the stick shift. Mm. I'm a horrible teacher. <laughs> my wife, however, probably in like six minutes. Good for her. Had it down. Just boom. Yep. Boom. So can you drive a stick shift? I was taught in high school and have never done it since. Seriously? So I think the answer is I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. It might well, come back to me. I have no idea. Want to risk it? No, I don't. I would rather not. So, yeah. That's well, that. That And then th- what's it like to be Christy Bowler? I'm very, very passionate about helping people overcome fear and anxiety. Yeah. So I want to talk about that. And... I think that's compelling because there's so much there's there's always been fear since the dawn of time, mm-hmm. since creation. We've had fear. We've had 
um, fear and trepidation, right? We've had, uh, there's always been fear. But there's something unique about, I think, where we are today. There are some new characteristics of fear and some new types of fear. And, and I think maybe some new isolation because of that. So I want to dive into all that stuff. But first. Uh-oh, are, are these the real questions? <laughs> what questions are these? How did you meet your husband? Okay, so we met in college. And he was dating someone else. I was dating someone else. And this is a really cool story. So you've got some music in your background. I I got a little bit, too. I was a musical theater major in college, right? I did theater in college, too. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So uh, I was in Schoolhouse Rock. I was singing the song Figure Eight. And he leans over to his mom because they're watching the show and says, I'm going to marry that girl someday. That's so close to me and my wife's story. Really? But but give, give me a little bit of Figure Eight. Oh, I, I don't know it. You forgot it? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Here's something you'll learn about me. I don't re- My husband will say this all the time. How do you not remember that? I don't I don't remember it. I can remember lines for plays and stuff, but it's short term. But if you I mean, that's why I have to journal things. That's why I have to write things down cuz I I don't remember. So I can't I couldn't sing it for you. That's awesome. Can you sing it? Do you know figure 8? No. I got conjunction junction and <laughs> I'm, that, and, I'm what's a, <laughs> and I'm just a function. And I'm just a bill. Uh, <laughs> I can remember those. Yep. <clears throat> How would your parents best describe you? Mm, strong-willed. Okay. Always been? Mm. Were you uh, mama's girl or daddy's girl? Oh, man. I, I Probably daddy's girl. Yeah. Really? Yeah. 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 Do you have brothers or sisters? No. Or? Two okay. sisters. Okay. Yeah. Oldest of three. Okay. All right. I was a baby, so yeah, it's a whole, it's a whole different world. I don't even understand you. <laughs> The fourth of four. There's, yeah. Yeah, you don't have to understand, but we'll lead you. We'll help you understand. (laughs) My sister, who is not the oldest, um, she's excuse me, she's the second, and she she essentially raised me. I was her little baby. Mm. So, did you have that relationship with one of your sisters where you were kind of the primary? Not really. You feel that we were pretty like close in age age? that it didn't feel like that. No. Got it. Um. You got any funny family stories? I, you know what? We have one. This this is one we'll crank open the VHS tap, tapes <laughs> and we'll like pull it out to watch this one. But okay. remember in Florida, you, in, you're not even you can't be old enough for VHS tapes. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I'm 42. Yes, I'm 42. I really wouldn't have guessed. So. Oh well, thank you. I appreciate awesome. that. So Florida, you know where they do the jumping water, the jumping waterfalls, like they yeah. jump from yeah, yeah, thing yeah, yeah. to thing <clears throat> to thing. Okay, yeah. so. We we were purposely trying to avoid those. Well, my sister got in one and it just ch- chucked her right in the oh, face no. and knocked her over. But my dad was videotaping it on the VHS. I'm so sorry it's for just, laughing. Uh, but oh. no, I mean it was just those. It was one of those memories where you could literally replay it and it was <laughs> just as funny every single time because she hit the. I mean, she hit oh, the no. water hit her right. In the, anyway, that was that's a funny memory we we can that's we can laugh awesome. about. Yeah. Do you? Assuming your parents are going to listen to this, maybe they are, maybe they won't. Do you feel like one of so you're probably more of a daddy's girl? Do you think that your dad was more of an influence in principle as to who you are, the woman that you are now, or do you think that your mother was, or do you find yourself going like, oh wow, that's just like my mom? I I hate that, or I love that, or mm. those kind of things. Mm-hmm. My mom and dad are both incredible people, and what's beautiful about them is. They're both so very, very, very different. My dad is a quiet, calm, just gentle giant. And then my mom is just a, a strong-willed woman, right? So I feel like I've got... I you can, got a good mix. I got a, mi- yeah. I got a good mix of both of them. Yeah. Gotcha. 
What does a typical day look like for you? Mm. So I know I, 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 I've done a little research, air, you know, air quotes research creeping on Facebook. <laughs> um, so you were in the, the workforce, but, and, and now you're leading this movement, this mm-hmm. thing, and we'll get into in a bit. So I, I know that's probably a, quite a full-time job for you, but what does your day look like? What does a normal day look like for you? I've always got to get my quiet time in in the morning, so that's I, I try to get up before everyone else because once other people are up in your home, you, you can't really rest and relax, yeah. right? So I do that and then uh, send the kids off to school, and then it could be anywhere from answering emails to getting my podcast prepared to writing uh, blogs, preparing for my next writing project, speaking engagements, getting my messages prepared, uh, travel arrangements. I mean, it's just I have a teammate that we, her and I will work uh, once a week together where we go through everything that we've got to get done. Um, we're writing Bible studies and we're doing um, impact groups where I'm discipling people. So there's just there's a ton of stuff at any given moment that could be thrown. And then, of course, you've got social media influence. So you're working on reels and social media posts and those right. kinds of things. So it's just kind of a smorgasbord of a lot of different things every day. Sounds like a typical business owner. Yeah. Actually, yeah. yeah. Uh, what... Um, have you always had quiet time in the morning? Have you always been that kind of person as an adult who who needed the quiet time? Or did you have a, was it just chaos and then you suddenly discovered this peaceful time? And I'm guessing you're, pro- I'm guessing you're probably in prayer, meditation, Bible study at that time as well. So what is that? Is it something you've always done? Mike, I, I was a CEO Christian before all of this mental health battle hit me, which is Christmas, Easter only. So mm-hmm. I never really okay. decided that you know, quiet time and spending time with the Lord in the morning was important to me until I had my nervous breakdown. So that was not something that I even knew was important to, you know, your life to, to, to find peace and, and to be able to, um, you know, have that quiet time. So no, that is not something that I would say since my nervous breakdown happened in 2011, and I had a kind of an 18-month journey of healing through that, it would be after that 18-month period where I started to really integrate quiet time into my life. Gotcha. What did you want to do when you grew up, when you were a kid? I wanted to go to Hollywood. Yeah? I wanted to be on Broadway. You wanted to be fabulous. Yeah, and, and so <laughs> I tried out for The Bold and the Beautiful. Did you really? In New York City, and I did make it as a little tiny Screen Actors Guild gig for Beauty and the Beast. It was a children's theater tour that I would have gone on. I would have missed my last semester of college if, if I would have said yes to the role. And it paid like 400 bucks a month or something. I mean, at that yeah, time, was it, was just, it was just <clears throat> yeah. like, and it was one of those things. And I'll never forget this. This is a really interesting story. I was working for a talent agency and a man um, that was very successful uh, comes into the talent agency and he just looks at me. He's like, Christy, what are you doing? I'm like, what, what are you talking about? And he's like, why, why are you here? And I'm like, because I'm trying to make it big. And he's like, it's not worth it. And I'm like, wait, what? Was this someone you knew? He, he was someone that I was working for as an intern. Okay. You know, so it, not well, no. But I mean, he just basically said like, I'm still trying to make it big. And I'm 42, oddly enough, like yeah. my age now. And he's like, and I, this isn't worth it. Like, go home, get married, go do, go, go have a normal life. Right, and it was like, yeah. 
wow. And that stuck with me because I had just shaved my head for an anti-truth campaign. Um, MTV used to have these uh, truth campaigns and they would do these shock values where they would do these crazy things and then it would try to get you to know like, hey, don't smoke or this could happen. So what happened was in the commercial, they were bicking my head. My hair was longer than it is now. And they, they were like having people walk by the streets of New York and they would be like, what's going on right now? And so they would film this. So anyway, I had just done this commercial. I was wearing a wig. I barely got paid anything. Come to find out they wind up like really um, not paying us well afterwards because they used tricky camera angles. And for Screen Actors Guild, you had to be visibly recognizable for like half of a second. So we didn't get paid the residuals. We only got paid like the shoot fee. And so it was like, I kind of... It was an ugly experience. It was an ugly experience. So anyway, all these things are happening. And I'm like, you know what? I think I am going to go home. I'm going to go home. I'm going to marry the love of my life, who I'm married to now. And I did. I hung up my acting shoes. And and then I decided I'm going to be the best darn saleswoman the world ever seen. And I went into corporate sales. For who? A medical equipment company. Durable medical equipment. Okay. Did you enjoy that? I did. I loved it until I became a workaholic and had a nervous breakdown. Were you just so involved in that and you loved it so much that you gave yourself to it and you gave too much to it? Or were, were there external pressures? Did you need to make money? Did you, what, what drove you at that point to go so far into this that it ultimately drove you crazy? Success, accolades, the approval of man, just realizing that I was... I cared about all the wrong things. What was, well, okay, so what was success then? To, to you then, to 25-year-old Christy, 20-whatever, what was the quant? What was success? Titles, money, achievement, more. What more can I get? How much more business can I land? How many more people can I, you know, they say, oh, that person's impossible to land. Yeah, let me after them. Let me see if I can do it. And And so it gotcha. was just this pride of, don't tell me I can't do it. I'll show you I can do it. Where did that come from? Did you have? It, it, did you feel like from your childhood that you had a sense of lacking and you wanted more, or <clears throat> was there? Was it just awesome to climb the mountain and be on top? I think it's really important that you ask the question, like where does it come from? Because it's a good question, and I think anyone that is achieving and going after success and money and accolades needs to stop and say, Hey, maybe I need to go back so that I can plow forward. And I had someone ask me that question during my nervous breakdown. And what wound up happening is I had this memory of when I was in the fourth grade, I was in young people's theater and the director came and said, Oh my goodness, the star of the show, she, She's got, um, she's sick and we need you to step in. Can you learn the blocking? Can you learn the lines? Can you do the whole thing? And I was like, yeah, chance to shine. Of course, of course I can. I'll yeah. take it. I'll do it. I got you. And I did it. And I wound up getting a standing ovation, but I could not, I didn't sleep for 48 hours. I stressed my body. Now I'm in fourth grade at this point. Okay. And so what wound up happening is I got a migraine. And to this day, Mike, I still remember the pain pulsing through my head and the migraine that I had to put myself in a dark room at 10 years old. And when we should have been celebrating all this great things that happened with this show, I was in my room with a migraine because I had stressed my body so much. But the applause of man became what my soul lived for. Right. And it started in fourth grade. Right. That, that, that you just defined what an addiction is. Mm. You just laid out addiction. I know the cost. 
but I get this. And I hate that, but I love that. Mm-hmm. That's the, and, you know, I, I've identified over my life that I have an addictive personality. So I, I relate. Mm-hmm. I'm hearing you talk about success and being driven. And, you know, you, you mentioned my books on my desk here. I have a lot of business books about success, about, you know, profit first, um, um, Zig Ziglar's Secrets of Closing the Sale. Mm-hmm. Um the Millionaire Next Door, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, all the classics, right? And, um, and I've read them all, and I'll read them all again and again because I, I've learned over time to take the good out of them, not, mm-hmm. not the bad. But <clears throat> that's the scorecard, right? For, uh, for uh, This isn't just for men, but I, I'm usually around men business owners, and, and the scorecard is the dollars in the bank account, mm-hmm. right? And also the, the, the scorecard is that success. And as a musician... When you're playing in front of 60 people, you want to play in front of 100, mm. and then 1,000, and then 10,000, and then 20,000. And, and then what you realize, what I know now after all of that, is that it that there's a, a tremendous price to pay. Mm-hmm. So tell me about that as a four-year-old, and then when did you have that epiphany later that that existed? Did you, at some point later in your life, realize, oh my goodness, I had that at four years old, and now I'm doing the same thing? Did you connect that? No, it, it wasn't until I had, you know, intensive counseling and therapy where the question, really? yes, the questions were, why are you driven? Why are you looking for this? Why, and that's what, what dug what up you, that memory. Oh, absolutely. It, I would have never dug that up on my own. No, I had to have somebody way smarter than me <laughs> educated to, to, to get to ask right. me those questions. Yes. Wow. What... Do you think that there's something that you fundamentally misunderstood about the allure of success? Yeah. I mean, what does the world tell you success is? The world tells you money, favor, mm-hmm. influence. Yeah. It, you know, when you've got a business, a successful business, titles, all that's what the world says. You're mm-hmm. successful when you hit this. And that's what I was running after. But it wasn't until I realized that my superwoman cape was strangling me and I needed to lay it at the feet of Jesus mm-hmm. where I could look and go, hmm, what really is success? Well, in First Kings, it says success is measured by your obedience to God. Right. So if I wake up every morning and I'm chasing after money, followers, influence, you know, titles, all of the stuff uh, and that's what I'm going after. I'm going to fail every single time because when is enough? Right. When is, like you said, 60 people I'm playing in front of or 10,000. Like right. you always want more. But when you're being obedient to God, maybe the most successful thing you'll do all day long is talk to the woman in the parking lot that's crying in her car that needs prayer. Right. And and maybe that's that's all you're supposed to do for the day. But if you've been obedient then that's success. So if you're listening and you're a, and you're a Christian, a believer, or have been in Bible study, you know you'll be able to, to finish this sentence. To obey is better than, and it's sacrifice. And we, we have these worldly things that we chase after. And, you know, you, when you think about the Old Testament and how to be reconciled to God in the Old Testament, it was in sacrifice, mm-hmm. into, to sacrifice that bull, that ram, that lamb, right? So... When Jesus becomes the sacrificial lamb, 
and is laid down and pays the price, right, that price for our sin so that we can be reconciled. It was his obedience that overcame the sacrifice. Mm -hmm. So to obey is better than sacrifice. And when we think about the the things that we sacrifice in order to reach this... You remember, your kids probably were a little after, but did they all watch uh, Cars? Yeah. Lightning McQueen? Yeah. Remember Doc in the garage when he's looking at the trophies and Lightning McQueen is looking at the trophies and like, you won the Piston Cup. And and Doc said, what did he say? Just an empty cup. Oh. It's an empty cup. All I see is an empty cup. Wow. Right? That's good. And Lightning McQueen's like, you won the Piston Cup. You what? (laughs) You're doing it good, but I mean, that's... That's true. And Doc is like, no, that's an empty cup. And... um, the the things that we sacrifice to get those worldly things. So tell me, tell our listeners, what, if you're not in faith, what is what is what what is the world? What is this world that we chase? What are these things that we chase in the world? Well, I I mean I think money is number one. We feel like we have to run after that. If if we don't have, I mean it it marks who you are. Right. It, it marks what you have, what people think of you. So I think we always want more of it. So I think that's the world. And I think that we also are trying to make something of ourselves. So we want people to think of us a certain way, even if it's fake. And I think that's what's really hard with social media. Yeah, It's always the highlight reel. <clears throat> it's never the real. It's never what's really going on. Right. Um, the world is everything opposite of what God wants for us. I, I really think, I mean, sacrifice, you say those words and people are like, excuse me, what? Like, you want me to what? You, you want me to what? <laughs> right? Like, it doesn't even make sense. Does not compute. Yeah, it doesn't. And, and, and God's ways aren't the world's ways. And I think that's what's so important to understand. I mean, when I tell people about leaving my corporate career, laying down over $100,000 a year to, to, to go and start, this nonprofit where I was guaranteed nothing to begin with, people are like, that doesn't make sense, Christy. Why would you it do that? It doesn't compute. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. But it was the sacrifice and it was yeah. the obedience part. Yeah. And now I'm happier and healthier than I've ever been. Right. And it may not equal dollars, but it I know that I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. How is your life different because of well, let's just lay it out like this. You we're making sacrifices for these worldly desires. Agreed? Yeah. And now you've decided, I'm going to be obedient to my creator. How is your life different? What are some tangible things that are real and different in your life because of that decision to give up the salary, to give up the prestige, to give up the accolades, the awards, you know, winning the trip to Hawaii because you're the best in the, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? <clears throat> what What is tangibly different in your life because of that? My peace isn't determined by my circumstances anymore. So it used to be I felt like I could only have peace if I got one more job landed or I made X amount of money or... I had, you know, one more, you know, I got my master's in business administration. It's like, oh, I'll, I'll, be, I'll have peace then or I'll have joy then. And, and now it's, 
peace is a person in my life. And that's, that's what that is. So I can't, I understand now that even when I'm in the pits of hell or walking through the shadow of the valley of death, that I can still have peace. And I think that's the main difference is no matter what I'm going through, my life is rooted in Jesus and I can have peace no matter what. Peace is one of the fruits of the spirit. Mm -hmm. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When you're going through those trials and you feel peace, that is a tangible difference. Mm -hmm. And what is in that? I want to ask the right question. What does peace mean to you? Well, peace is a person. His name is Jesus, and I think that's that's what we don't understand. Okay, for so for a non unpack that for a non-believer, or, or say an agnostic, <clears throat> somebody who's like, or even a seeker. Peace is a person. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, nobody's physically in me. Mm-hmm. What do you mean, Christy? Right. Right. What does that mean? Peace. Well, it 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 means that. Give me a moment to just process. It's a big question. So what I what I think, what I'm trying to say is, no matter what I go through, as long as I have Jesus, I can get through anything. So the fear, his love covers. The anxiety, there is a prayer that I can pray to help me with that. The um, trials and tribulations that I walk through, He's always there. So before, I was doing it in my own strength. And self-help is no help at all. Because I was in a hospital, suicidal, not being able to get out of bed, having chunks of hair falling out of my head, not being able to work, pull up my bootstraps any higher. And so the person that doesn't have Jesus is only depending on themselves. So what do you do when your self fails you? Right. You, you have to rely on something bigger and greater than yourself. You can only pull up your bootstraps so high, right? Until you get a wedgie. Until you get a wedgie. <laughs> That's right. So, uh, yeah, what's the foundation? So listening to you describe that is really inspiring because what you're describing to me is that your identity becomes his identity. Mm-hmm. Is that you no longer want the things that you want. You want the things that he wants. Mm-hmm. And those are promises in sanctification. Yeah. As you draw nearer to Christ, then you... You know, <clears throat> I love when people post... I love anytime anybody posts scripture, but I love when people say, I can do all things through Christ. And you can. And <clears throat> God you will give you the desires of your heart. And yes, he will. But what is... How do you get the desires of your heart through Jesus Christ? It's in What? It's in your desires becoming his. Correct. Yeah. It's not... I remember... This This is a confession. Okay. Okay, Christy. This, this is... I'm embarrassed to say this. When I was a kid, I remember standing on my back porch and wishing so hard for a Snickers. I'm probably four <clears throat> or five. And I would snap my fingers and open it. I close my eyes, snap my fingers, open my... And I'm like, 
oh, it's not there. You know, I would wish so hard. Well, that was the desire of my heart. And we're not talking about those desires. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get the desires that are outside of his perfect plan, Mm -hmm. right? So when we reach for those things like you did and like I did, then we end up disconnected. So at this point, you're... Your career is rocking and rolling. You're 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 laying on beds of money. You're just. I don't know if it was that extravagant, but it was it was nice. Yeah, you had some things. Yes, you yes. wanted it. You bought it. Yeah, and um, and there's at some point you became broken. Mm-hmm. Was this a long process or was it a moment? It was. It was an absolute moment because I'm on the sunny beaches of Cancun, sipping on a fruity drink, hanging out with you know our, our best friends at the time, and all of a sudden something struck me. I've got to get out of here now. And my heart started beating out of my chest. I couldn't decide. I, like, I felt like I was going to throw up. I was disoriented. I was dizzy. It was just this, like, what in the world is going on? And it, and it passed me pretty quickly. But, Mike, when we got home, I landed in St. Louis, and I started seeing black dots on my eyes, wondering, what the heck is going on here? And then all of a sudden, I started getting paralysis on the right side of my body, tingling. It's carried on for several days. Finally got to the point so bad where I, I wasn't able to walk very well. Called my primary care physician in the middle of the night. And he said, Christy, I think you're having a stroke. I think you need to go on and get to the emergency room. So I landed myself a stay in the emergency room and they did the whole nine yards of workup of medical examination. And doc comes into me. He's like, Hey, I got good news. Nothing's wrong with you. And it's like, I wanted to punch him in the face. You're like, no, you don't understand. Like, I'm dying. Something is wrong with me. And uh, he's like, you've got anxiety. And it was like, come again. This woman that had it all together, never, you know, could do anything at any right. time, I any got place. You. you need this done? I got you. And yeah. and now you, you tell me I have anxiety, writes me a prescription for Xanax, says go on home, follow up with your primary care physician. And then the hell started at that point because yeah. it just got out of control at that point. My body physically started breaking down. Yeah, just shutting down. Mm-hmm. How long was that from from the the, the fruity drink? To the doctor, how long was that? Going going to the hospital, their primary care physician follow Primary up. care. Okay, three Wait, weeks. Okay, so back to back. Three weeks of that health, <clears throat> no. and then this diagnosis. No, you're fine, but you have anxiety, mm-hmm. and the prescription, and the I can only guess, but if I was to to guess how you felt, maybe it would be. Well, what am I going to do with this? Like, wh- wh- how is this going to help me? What, what, what next? Mm-hmm. What are you thinking at that point? Well, it's utter confusion because, you know, we do a great job. Uh, physicians do a great job of asking your, your symptoms. But when it comes to the mental side of things, if, if somebody would ask me, how's your thought life? How are you doing right now? I right. would have been like... I'm nuts. I can't get my thoughts to calm down. I don't understand. Like, I feel like I'm going to die. And, you know, so it was like this, this chaos train that was happening in my head right now that nobody could diagnose or tell me what was happening that was creating physical symptoms in my body at the same time. And it wasn't until my primary care physician follow-up appointment to where he looked at me and he's like, Christy, how's your marriage? Great, doc. Everything's great. How's your job? Great. I'm making more money than I've ever made in my life. Great. Okay, how's your kids? They're doing great. Okay, well, how many hours are you working at work? 
And I was like proud. I'm like 80, 80, I'm like a workaholic. Like I'm, and then he's like, that's it. And then he just looked at me and he said, Christy, you've got severe panic and anxiety disorder. And it was like, everything stopped in that moment. Severe panic and anxiety disorder. Now what, what do I do now? What does that look like? And he was wise. He handed me a prescription for um, anti-depression medicine because people that don't realize this, anxiety and depression are cousins. They normally go hand in hand. And so I get the antidepressant and he says, here's what I recommend. You need to go home and do the work. You need to figure out why you got into this place. Because if you don't, what's going to happen is you're going to keep coming back and following up with me. And we're going to just have to keep increasing your medication over and over and over until I've given you all I can give you. And I won't be able to help you anymore. How did you respond to that? I don't want that. Well, he said, do the work and you're a workaholic. You, you would think that that would, <clears throat> that would resonate with you. Like, I got this. But that it didn't work that way, did it? No, because the problem with mental health and specifically severe panic and anxiety disorder is there's a journey of getting your body to calm back down. And so work isn't going to help that. So I had to learn how to be still. I had to learn how to fight through the panic and anxiety because here's what happened. My body was stuck in overdrive, which meant that it was in fight or flight. So adrenaline and cortisol is coursing through my body and I cannot sleep. I cannot eat. I cannot function. I couldn't leave my bedroom. I missed my son's first steps. Like this was how devastating this time in my life was. So it was learning how to ride the waves of panic and anxiety until I could get to the healthy place. What was your first sign of that the ship was turning? What was the first thing that you recall where you thought, all right, I, I, I see a light beginning, to, and it's not a train mm-hmm. coming. You know, I see a light. Do you recall, was there, was there something that, that you thought, well, I, I'm making progress? Like, what, what is something that, if somebody's listening and they're kind of in this mode, is there something that you saw that gave you a, a sense of hope early on? I think I want to tell whoever's listening that embrace your darkest moment. And I'm going to tell you about my darkest moment real quick so that I can tell you how the light came in. Okay. The darkest moment was when I had been battling this for three weeks and my husband keeps hunting guns in the corner of our bedroom. They're not loaded. And I couldn't leave my bedroom. I hadn't eaten. I was missing my son's first steps. And all of a sudden, just the kingdom of darkness whispers this to me. Why don't you just use those guns? You're never going to make it through this. This is going to be your life forever. So you're, you're a burden to your family. Your mom and dad are staying here to take care of your kids. You can't even work. I mean, it was just these barrage of thoughts. Yeah. And I contemplated it. I wondered, what if I did? What if I just went ahead and used those guns? Because then I wouldn't have to go through the hell that I'm going through right now. So I covered the guns with blankets. My husband comes home from work that day. And he looks and he says, Christy, why are there blankets over my hunting guns? I said, because I was tempted to use them. And that was the moment where he was like, I can't fix this. Yeah. There is nothing I can do. Like, oh my gosh. And we were not a praying couple. We had never prayed together. And he prayed for me in that moment. 
he put his big strong arms around me and he prayed this prayer that I don't it had to have just come down from God and hope came in that day that moment when we prayed together that is powerful that is such a great story of how the covenant of marriage is the strongest bond that we are so dependent on our wives and our husbands in ways that unbelievers can't fathom and you're you're not i used to believe before i was married that you're two people in a marriage who've decided to be together and you're two people but that's not what scripture says is it no i mean the most beautiful picture that we are the the, the church is the bride of christ and the marriage is the model of that mm-hmm. so when we can step in to this this beautiful gift now i my single friends or your single friends, like I don't want to single them out because there are some people that are called to a life of singleness. Right. And I think that's amazing. We got the possible, whoa, we got Jesus. Like we know that singleness is still okay. But man, when we step into uh, the gift of marriage and how it actually, we can co-labor together and do this life together, submitted to Jesus, working together. It is the, I mean, I, I Troy and I, we, we, our relationship with Jesus is so much stronger and our marriage is so much stronger because of our sacrifice to the Lord, because right. of our surrender to Jesus. You know, Paul in the New Testament says, it's better to not marry. <laughs> but if you can't control yourself, That's yes. <laughs> yes. then it is better to marry. Yes. It is better to not. So clearly, what's that say about people like me and people like you? Well, clearly, we couldn't control ourselves. <laughs> we needed to get married. We needed to get married. And it works very well. But um, gosh, marriages all have trouble and trials and, and rough spots and successes. But that's a big one. That's a real big one. And can you answer for your husband, how did, how did his life change at that moment? Is that something that you can answer? I don't know that I can answer specifically how it changed his his specific walk with the Lord or his life in that moment. But what I do know is together we started to see the power of God working. That when we asked him, we, we asked and he answered. And what's interesting is the answers aren't always what we want or hope. I mean, Mike... He prayed for me, and I still battled anxiety for 18 months after that. So it wasn't like God just supernaturally came down and wiped all the anxiety away. Sometimes right. I think we have to walk through the problems to find his promises. Yeah. And that's kind of what he did with me in, in that moment. And I think together we realized, man, we're way off. Like, we care way too much about this money, this success thing. I think he would say if he was in this room right now, I enabled my wife. She was a go-getter. And when she wanted to start another business, when she was already working 80 hours a week, I said, go on, baby, go ahead and do it. You're bringing bring, in more bring money. The bacon, like, baby. Like, and, and now he's very protective over that. If if I am, I'm an entrepreneur, just but that's the yeah. way the Lord's made yeah. me. And so I'll come to him and be like, ah, I don't know, hold on a second. Wait, what let's think? think through this. Yeah. Where the old Troy would have been like, go for it, go right. for it. You know, so I think that we... We've just learned um, to balance each other out and our weaknesses and our strengths and really operate that operate in that. And it's been powerful. So how, what comes next? So you've got this battle. 
you're, <clears throat> you're on point with the idea that Christ is this missing thing, right? You guys have this idea that, oh, man, I need to get back to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And you just said you had an 18-month battle ahead. Just, give, just share with me how that process went and then the transformation from being a, um, a, a for-profit mindset to a nonprofit mindset. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a dumb way to ask the question, but but at some point you you had you desired to help other people instead of helping yourself. I don't think it's a dumb question at all the way that you I mean it's actually pretty profound because before I would have never ever thought about doing a nonprofit because it was always about me. How much more can I make? How much more can I do? It would have ne- I would have never thought what can I do for someone else because I was a very selfish and prideful person. And sometimes I think that makes the best salespeople. It is. (laughs) You know, so what was the journey? The journey looked like intensive Christian therapy. And it was, I I like to use the analogy of a bow that sometimes you have to pull the bow back and it's hard and it's painful and it takes some tension to pull it back, but you have to pull it back to plow forward. But once you let go and you really do do that deep work, um, that's when I started realizing like, why am I chasing after success? What in me is driving me to want that? And, and, and how do I channel that in, in a different way? And so slowly, but surely I started realizing that this life is not about me. This life is about serving God. And then in that I will find joy and contentment and peace and love and all of those things. And, and once I started to unpack that and physically feel the peace, watch my body heal and overcome. Now I used medication. I used, I had doctors. I, all of that stuff. It's a holistic approach. It's a holistic approach. And and when people say, just read your Bible more or pray, I want to slap them because if somebody would have just slapped a Bible over my head when I was going through panic and anxiety disorder, that would have wounded me so deeply. But I also had this like love hate relationship with it. Like I also think that we're passing out antidepressants like candy right now. And Mm -hmm. there needs to be a little bit more of a hold on. Maybe you could go through therapy first before you just take a pill to try to put a bandaid over this. Because really the pill is the bandaid. It's a tool. It's definitely a tool. And I'm grateful that I was on the medication for 18 months. But it wasn't the answer. It wasn't the actual answer. What you're describing me is, is and I'm, sometimes I, I get these really heady thoughts and I think I'm profound. And other times I realize, that, you know, just a, just a dude. But what you're describing to me is, that, is the idea, the concept of, of natural versus supernatural. Mm-hmm. So uh, there are believers in this world that say, I'm going to leave this up to Christ. I'm not taking this medicine. I'm, and you know what? Maybe that's what God is telling them. But so often people can be in a dangerous mindset one way or the other. And it sounds like you had the, the, perfect, uh, op- the, the perfect response, which was, I'm going to rely on these natural things and I'm going to rely on these supernatural things. And that's so often how things are handled correctly. You know, I, I'm, I own a health and wellness business, but I'm not anti-pharma. I'm just pro-natural, but thank God for penicillin. Mm-hmm. What would we do, right? Mm-hmm. So you you were able to find that balance as, I'm get, you were a believer before, just not in. Yes or no, or were you not? I believed in God. I didn't need God. 
Right. So I don't know how you would define that. That's agnostic, essentially. I mean, I believe that, you know, the universe exists, a God exists. Mm -hmm. But what what does he need of me or I don't need him? And, you know, Jesus was a cool guy to me. I mean, I didn't have a problem with him, but there was zero relationship. I grew up Catholic, so it was rules regulate. I mean, it, it had nothing to do with a relationship at all. Right. So at this point, you're starting to get this relationship. You're starting to understand that there's more to this Jesus thing than just the 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 guy hanging on the wall on the cross, the, the white Anglo-American on the cross, right, with long hair. There's more to him. And so tell me how your relationship with Christ developed through this. Like, just unpack that a little bit for me. Well, it's interesting because... You know, Christians will often say, I gave my life to the Lord. I surrendered my life to the Lord. And, I, you know, I remember wondering, like, what does that mean? What does that actually right. mean? But here's what's wild. I mean, they, they say that when you have, um, you know, end of your rope moments, that's when you're most open to accept Jesus because you need help. <clears throat> so after Troy prayed for me and I started to feel hope, I... He kind of left, and then I got down on my knees. And it's so funny that you talked about the cross on the wall because I had one. I had one of those exact Catholic crosses. I know, I, and because it I, meant nothing, I and I didn't even one. know. What, I mean, like, so I've got this cross on. I get down on my knees, and I said, "God, I don't know if you're real, yeah. but if you are, and I and, and then I said, I don't know why I'm going through this, but if you're real, will you please help me?" And then I said this phrase that I can't believe I said it, and I didn't know what it meant when I said it, but I said, I promise I'll dedicate my life to you if you'll get me out of this. And I've made good on that because now that's what I'm doing. I'm putting out programming and helping our community with people that are dealing with fear and anxiety. (laughs) You just reminded me of a movie, um, a Burt Reynolds movie from like the, I don't know which one, from the 70s. I just remember him swimming out in the ocean to kill himself. He wanted to drown himself. He was committing suicide. He's swimming out in the ocean, and he has this aha moment, like, what am I doing? I have so much to live for. And he's like, God, if you can hear me, just help me get back to the shore. And he's paddling, swimming. And when I get back to the shore, I'm going to give you 20% of everything I make. (laughs) And he's getting close to the shore, and he's like, God, thank you so much. And I promise I'm going to come through with that 10% once I get to the shore. And he gets up, he's really close to the shore, and he's like, God, I'm going to be on that 5% as soon as I get, thank you so much. And he gets back to the shore, and I don't remember the end of them, but it's something like, yeah, God, thanks. And like, you know. We're so quick to forget. We make these promises Mm -hmm. in our desperation. And you, you also reminded me of when I was younger, I was out of church for a long time, but I had these tapes, remember cassette tapes? Oh, yeah. Of Robert Schuller. I don't know. He was a big pastor guy, and he had to build the Crystal Cathedral, and he had these tapes, and I listened to him like crazy. And one of the things that I remember consistently, from, this is 30 years ago, I remember him saying on this cassette, when you reach the end of your rope, hang on to a rope called hope. Mm-hmm. And that stuck with me, mm-hmm. and that was part of my rededication to Christ. I mentioned to you before we started that I accepted Christ at 12, and then I, at when I graduated high school, I graduated church. I quit going to you church. You wandered a little. I did. I wandered. And um, I came back. I got better. I came back. But I always remember that. Hang on to the rope called home. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so you, you pray 
and you're hoping and you're living and you're struggling through this anxiety and its horrible cousin, depression. Mm-hmm. Did the anxiety turn into depression at some point when you became less anxious? Did you sort of collapse into depression? I felt like it was and or. It, 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 it was one of those situations where the anxiety was so bad that I was depressed. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it just felt like I would... I, when I had the anxiety panic attacks, I would be revved up. So I wasn't, I, I didn't have the ability to be t- depressed, but then it would leave me completely low after that. So I just kept having these, just these cycles of panic attack, panic attack. Then I'd crash and have the depression, <laughs> panic attack, panic attack. And then yeah, I'd it's the like, depression. it's like a sugar high and then a crash and a yeah. sugar high and a crash, mm-hmm. except much more devastating. Yes. Yes. So your relationship grew with Christ through this process. And did you feel that there was an end somewhere? Did you feel like, I'm better? I felt his presence in the pain. I was somehow now keenly aware that I wasn't alone. And that was powerful. And it was like, you know, this, there's a scripture that says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. Right. And I feel like for my non-Christian friends that are listening right now, that's the difference. You have to take a step. He's always been there. He's always been there. He's there. He's there. But you have to draw near to him and he'll draw near to you. And that was the step I took. God, if you're real, help me. So it was the willingness to be helped because I was superwoman before, right? right? Until the cape was strangling me. And it was like, oh, I can't do this anymore. The winds came and it just whipped it around. The willingness to say, I am not in control. Yeah. I love looking at faith in in a logical way. Faith is so often people think that it's <clears throat> you can either have logic or you can have faith. That's not true. Faith is so much a mathematical equation in some ways. Hmm. What did you just say? God says draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. That's a promise. Mm-hmm. If you do this, I will do this. Mm-hmm. Sounds mathematical to me. <laughs> it's it's very logic based. It's it's click were. If you draw to me near to me, I will draw near to you. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> that's the beauty of the sanctified Christian. Is you're broken. And let me explain what sanctification is. And I know you know this, but if you're listening, it's the process of in in a faith environment. It's where you accept Christ and you begin to be transformed. You're transformed. You begin. You're, you're made new. You're a new creation, and then your desires become that of Jesus. You become sanctified, set apart is what sanctified is, from sin. So you are farther away. As you grow nearer to Christ, you draw farther away from sin. We will always be sinners. But you draw farther away from the desire to sin. That's sanctification. And and that's a promise of faith, is, it, is that if you come to me, I will do these things. Mm-hmm. And it may be on his timeline or, or whatever the time, it will be his timeline. But, I mean, it, it may be when you want it or not when you want it, but it is the right thing always if you give your life. So 
I love that you had that moment or that that time of drawing near and you're feeling comfortable because are feeling comfort, mm-hmm. not comfortable, but comfort. That's the joy in the storm, right? Mm-hmm. You have the joy. You mentioned peace, but I always talk about joy. I can have a joyful life even when everything is wrong. Mm-hmm. So tell me about how that felt for you being comforted by a savior and then how that grew well there's also this funny thing where um there's a scripture that talks about my sheep hear my voice Mm -hmm. and uh so i started hearing god's voice and this is honest to god's truth you're gonna think i'm crazy but after i had that prayer i was in my bathroom and i i this time it, it was an audible voice that said call and then it was a, a woman's name that I had not talked talk to in seven years. And I thought, who said that? Like, <laughs> what, 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 I mean, what the, and so I wind up, this Facebook is still very new at this point, but I was Facebook friends with this woman and I reach out to her and I tell her what I'm going through. And she says, oh my gosh, call me. And we wind up talking on the phone and she had just been hospitalized two years prior with severe panic and anxiety disorder. Mm -hmm. So God gave me someone that was two years ahead of me to give me advice and to pour wisdom over me. And so it was just like, that's another amazing thing. So you're feeling his present, you're feeling his comfort, you're hearing his voice. It's like everything changes at this point. Now I'm not relying on Christy Bulware to fix things. I've got somebody way smarter who, who, who... hung the sun in the sky that knows what's going on to lead me and to guide me and to give me the wisdom that I needed to, to heal and get better. And it was just like little mini miracle after miracle that wound up happening where it wasn't just like all the anxiety is gone, but I, I, I found a way to get through it with his, with his peace and his comfort and his wisdom. I love the God's voice story. I have I I've heard God's voice too. I believe you. At one time, he said three words to me. What was it? <laughs> I was I was still a musician. I was at home uh, from from the a short tour, and I was staying at my sister's house. And I woke up at six in the morning, which you never do as a musician. I shot up out of bed. And I heard God speak to me in my waking stupor. He said three words. He said, get a job. (laughs) True story. I heard God's voice. Wow. Because I looked around like you and I'm like, I heard an audible voice. I heard it. I'm looking around the room. I'm, I'm groggy. I'm like, who said that? It didn't sound like my sister. Mm. It didn't sound Mm -hmm. like my brother-in-law. It didn't sound like their kids or my parents who weren't even there anyway. And that's what changed my life. Wow. And that, and 30 something years later and boy, what a gift. But so you heard his voice and he gave you, he gave you that name. And, and so let's move forward. Um, because I want to dive into, um, the transformation of Christy from, Money-making machine, sleeping on beds of bills and just doling out money like it's going out of style. That's not true. That's not exactly how it was. But I want to I I talk about that transformation 
of the worldly desires to the desires of Christ in your life. And this podcast is called People Who Influence People. And your desire was not to influence. Your desire was to impact. But it takes influence to impact. And God has given you a platform now. So my first question that I had written down about mental health was, and you've just so beautifully, thank you, laid out your story. The question was, can you share the story of how you first became passionate about mental health and decided to start your movement? Well, that's the story. You struggled with it. This was your life. This is this became your passion because it became your your healing agent. Christ did, and and you have a story to share. Obviously, faith is an important part of your life. How has your faith in Christ, your Christian faith, influenced your approach to mental health? Hmm, that's a really good question, and I think it's something that deserves um, a, a, an answer that. that I have to kind of sit with for a second because this is a problem. It's a, and it's kind of a hot topic for me. Let's go there. Okay. Well, and we may not have the answers today. Well, I get really frustrated with the church on how we have not handled mental health. Well, how we have not loved people that are struggling with mental health. Well, and I think it's a little bit what we touched on. It's that isn't God enough. If you had faith, then you wouldn't have fear. Right. And the scripture, some scriptures that get out of context, you know, God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And so all of that is true. All of that is true. But yet, doesn't he say in this world, you will have trials, you will have troubles, but take heart because I've overcome, I've the, overcome world. the world. And we know that there's 404 references of fear in the Bible to do not be afraid. Now, some of them are in reference to awe and reverence of God, but most of them are about, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. If God had to tell us that many times, then there's probably a reason. So the thought is, in this life, we learned not to be completely fearless, but to fear less. That every time I overcome a problem, every time I overcome a trial, every time I walk through hell and back, then I should be getting stronger in my faith. So how do we meet the people that don't even know the Lord with love and compassion and teach them how to have stronger faith muscles, how to love the Lord, how to get there? And God forbid they need Celexa or an antidepressant or some some Xanax to help them get through at that point. And we're so judgmental to, to tell people, well, you can't do that or you can't, you shouldn't have that or you, you, you know, just you need to be in community or, you know, you need to stop being so lazy. I mean, I remember family members like, can't you just make it stop, Christy? Can you yeah. just, can you? I'm like, yeah. Do you think that if I could make it stop, well, wouldn't I make it stop? Like, yeah, I can't just make get up it and go to work, do something. Right. And, and that's just not the way it works. And, and, I'm grateful that God used my story, a person that was kicking butt and taking names, to be completely broken now, not being able to get out of my room, so that I could tell people, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, this is a real thing. Right. This is a real thing. And is it a spiritual battle? Yes. But it's a physical battle, too. 
So I think, I just think we need to do a better job. And I have this dream. I have this dream that someday the medical community and the faith community can come together and we can treat the person as one body, soul, and spirit. And, and until that happens, I think we are still going to be really, really struggling with the epidemic of fear and anxiety in our world. The scripture that you had alluded to was, was Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, I'm, I'm with you, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. <laughs> what do we learn in that about him helping us versus us saying, like, I, I, I love this, this, this thought process. So you're dismayed with the church because of perhaps a stigma of using medicine, antidepressants, maybe pain meds, things like that. And there is a stigma within many churches saying, well, you shouldn't use this. It's this narcotic, this whatever, this prescription. Um, And I don't know a lot about those things, but it is a medical solution, right? What does this scripture tell us? And I'm leading you on, and and I'm interested in your thoughts, and I want to share mine too, about when when it says, I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you. What do you think about those words that we get in Scripture with respect to what you just said? I think every good and perfect gift comes from above, and sometimes that's in the form of like what you said, a natural intervention or a pharmaceutical intervention or a supernatural intervention. And I think that we have to be, we have to understand that God works, his ways are higher than our ways. And he might lead someone down an 18 month journey of a prescription medication and while they're getting well spiritually, or he might supernaturally heal someone. And who are we to get in the middle of that? So do not be dismayed, for I am with you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That means that he is with you, that if you reach out to him and grab his hand, he will guide you along. And we have to be willing to get out of the way. We have to be willing to say, but God, I want this, I want this, I want this. And he's going, no, 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 no. Let me lead you. Yeah. Let me guide you. Let me take you. Let me show you what the right path is. And we have to get out of our own heads. So you're, you're saying that that this solution in your case is a great example. Let's just use you as an example because you're the example here. In your case, the solution was him upholding you and helping you by giving you these medical solutions Mm -hmm. as well as faith, as well as a mentor, Mm -hmm. and I'm sure spiritual guidance Mm -hmm. and his presence, Mm -hmm. the comfort. So how many ways is that? Five, six, Oh, seven and, and ways. I could go on and on and on. And, yeah. and I was going to ask, there's probably a dozen or yes. more ways or dozens, but it's not just, and, and I'm not purporting that somebody should run to a particular thing. I th- What I'm hearing you say is dive in with Christ and let him lead you and go where he leads. And you mentioned a word, I don't know if you mentioned, well, after I hit record or before I hit record, but you talked about discernment. Mm. And discernment is is so important in decisioning in crisis, right? <clears throat> you have to have discernment. So how did did you feel 
like you had greater discernment through this process or were you relying on your husband? Were you relying on your doctor, your team or all of it? Or tell me how that went for you and then we'll move, we'll move forward. You know what I think is interesting about your story about when you heard God and said, get a job. And then I heard call my friend, you know, and her name, how kind is God to wake us up like that? Because you were like, you said everything changed after that. Everything. Right? And for me, everything changed after that, too. It was like he gave us a taste, taste and see the goodness Mm -hmm. of God. Yeah. And I feel like that's what it was. It was like this, wow, you are real and you are good. And and then it was like I was in hook, line and sinker, like whatever you need from me, I'm going to do it. So my life changed radically after, you know, I heard his voice and started hearing, feeling that comfort. So I, I would just encourage anybody listening right now that's on the fence, jump in, jump in. Because what, just what if he's the answer? He's going to lead you. He's going to guide you. What do you have to lose? That's a powerful thought process. I, I love the example where, <clears throat> where, okay, let's say that I'm a Christian, somebody's an agnostic or a, an atheist. Well, what if I'm wrong? What if I'm wrong in my faith and there is no God and I die? Okay, poof. But what if you're wrong? That's a powerful statement, right? Yeah, because if if I'm wrong, then I've lived a life of wholeness, peace, joy, all the fruits of the Spirit, had lived a really great life, helped some people, was less selfish, less prideful, you know, I, that, 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 those, all those things don't sound bad, but if you're wrong and Jesus did die for our sins and the only way to get to heaven is through an internal and there's life a with price him, to pay and there's a price to pay and I might have to go to hell, <laughs> then whew, that's, yeah. that's a big thing to think about. I'm <clears throat> putting my money on option one. I, I am too. I'll take option one. So you started a thing. Yes. What's the thing? The thing originally was called Fearless Woman. We re, women we rebranded two years ago to Fearless Unite to open up more opportunities to be able to minister to men as well. So um, yeah, Fearless Unite is an organization that puts programming out to the world that helps people overcome fear and anxiety. It opened up an amazing opportunity for me to write a book. So we have a book out called Nervous Breakthrough. And that's doing pretty well. And I think it's I because there's a nervous lot of people. That, yeah. Nervous breakdown. It's called Nervous Breakthrough, Finding Freedom from Fear and Anxiety in a World that Feeds It. Then you do have a website, fearlessunite.com. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a robust site. I, I spent some time on it before you arrived today. You've got uh, studies, devotionals, group studies. <clears throat> You've got a great podcast. I listened to an episode. Um, which, op- <clears throat> which episode did you listen to? I know you've got a paid, uh, paid site. For yeah. and, and that's awesome. Keep it going. I listened to the misunderstood manhood. Oh, okay. <clears throat> and it was good. <laughs> Thank you. It, with Will Good. He's my great friend. And he yes. was good. Yes, and Will was... Will Good was good. <laughs> he was good. So I I can I can absolutely attest that that's worth your twenty nine minutes, <laughs> and it's definitely worth the price. It's free. So uh, that's a great episode on the Feeders Unite. Um, you've got an opportunity for people to, to support you giving, um, you got a blog, you got, uh, resources, messages, you can connect with you. Um, that's really good. Um, so let's talk about 
influence, right? So you've gained some influence through your story. I believe that God has given you favor because of your struggle and your commitment and your, your conversion of heart from focusing on your desires to focusing on his desires. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about influence. Have, have you purposefully studied the art of influence? I haven't. Okay. So <clears throat> without that toolbox full of, of things that help you to garner to in, to garner influence. What are some things that you've discovered as, and I want to call you an influencer from here on out, but this is not like social media. You're not a TikTok influencer, not like, but I'm talking about a community influence. You have an audience. You have people that, that trust you. What have you, what have you done to like, you, you know, nobody starts something for, so that people don't look at it, hmm. right? What have you done to help get your message out, to gain influence? At first, it was just, it, it was interesting. It started as, I just want to help a couple of people. And that's what we did. We started in a library, and we had 36 women show up. That's and, not a couple. That's a big thing well, for, for day one. That's, okay. But what I realized was, is meet the need of the people you're serving and the yeah. influence will follow. And so call me an influencer, call me, but I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve you. Whatever it is that I have that you need because I've experienced something painful, I'm going to give it away. And the, we, we, you mentioned the studies on our, they're called impact studies. Why do we call them impact studies? Because they're impactful and they change your life. And so I think just the idea of just serving, 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 serving. And then I think the rest of the stuff just follows. Serving is, is not necessarily a Christian value. You don't have to be a Christ follower to serve other people. But what is it about serving people in Christ that feeds you? Well, there's this... I, I love the scripture. It says, comfort those with the same comfort that God has given you. And so that comfort that I received when I was going through that breakdown, I can now turn around. I'd like to say, spread comfort like confetti. Mm-hmm. Just, keep, throw just, just throw it out. Just keep going. <laughs> just keep going. Because if you've received comfort, then you need to turn around and tell somebody else. And it drives me crazy because I think sometimes people think, oh, well, I'm struggling with anxiety, so I can't help someone. And I try to tell people, yes, you can. Because there's somebody that's going through something that, you know, you haven't gone through or they haven't gone through and you can comfort them with something. And because you have struggled with anxiety, it gives you more compassion and more empathy to love somebody else that does. What, what are some things that have been helpful for you to get your message out and to, to gain from a business perspective, to gain market share, to gain momentum with your with your message. At first, it was Facebook. Facebook was where we were seeing massive amounts of people following and looking and 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 finding out about our events. the 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 private groups on Facebook works really well, but honestly, our most it's email. Have a robust email marketing list because that really, really helps. And that is the one thing you own and cannot be taken away from you. Many people who are, 
who are <clears throat> influencing others, people who influence people, um, ultimately face criticism and have some challenges along the way as your, your message has, has reached more people. How do you handle criticism or maintain resilience in, in those moments? The approval of God is all that I'm living for. And does that sounds like a, like, oh, yeah, okay, well, you don't ever get worried about criticism or you're not, oh, no, it hurts. I mean, I get criticism all the time. If you go back a couple of uh, posts back, you're going to see 45 comments of some really nasty stuff going on. And so it is, it's not fun to get the criticism, and it does hurt. But at the end of the day, I always ask myself, have I pleased you, Lord? Have I been obedient to you? And then the rest of itself, it's just going to work itself out. And I think you have to have, I think you have to have tough skin and a tender heart. I agree. Um, there's an example that I, and I love that you gave that answer because that's so, it's so um, inspiring for people, I think, to know that when you face criticism, if you're in step with Christ, if you're doing what God has chosen for you to do, and you're you're in communion with your Creator in on mission, right? And I'm making it sound more powerful than it probably really is. I mean, it's a powerful thing, but I mean, on mission could be being, uh, you know, being a wonderful um, housewife, or being a wonderful CEO, or being, you know, on mission is the that thing that God's given you, and this is clearly what God has put on your heart to do. But when you have those that criticism and those misgivings. That's not your burden to bear. So tell me how, tell me what that, how that works for you when you get the criticism. I know you, okay, you say it's, it's, it, have I pleased God? How do you tactically deal with that though? Do you have, do you make a mental picture? Do you, because I have a mental picture that I take when I have, when I face criticism that isn't mine. That, I mean, it's to me, but clearly God's. Well, this isn't a holy answer, but most of the time I'm like, I'm ticked. I'm mad. Like I have a, like a human moment where I'm just like, you know, maybe a little curse word might come out or something, you know, it's like, and God is forgiving. He's very forgiving. They don't know me, you know, and you have, you kind of let that, that moment go or I run, I talk to my husband, you know, and we'll, we'll talk things out. And he always, he allows me the space to, to, to have the human moment and yeah. then and then it's like okay but i've i mean it, it's a cliche but it the criticism always says more about that person than it, it does. does about you it does. every single time <clears throat> over and over and over again so you have to just try to let it roll off your back and if you're not receiving criticism you're probably not doing something good yeah yeah what are some some misconceptions about mental health that people have that you've that that are important to you to to um, to handle to clear up when you're talking with people. What are some things that are misunderstood about mental health? I don't know why this is like just bubbling up in my heart right now, but that it's real. It seems like well, duh, Christy, you just told, but I, I come across so many people, and in even a conversation I I had today with someone who was like. Oh, well, I don't struggle with that, so I have no idea what that's like. And it's just kind of a judgmental look at it. And so I guess I just want people to know that even if you've never struggled with fear and anxiety or depression, just understand that it is real. It is a real physical thing that can happen in people's lives. 
and just to have ask more questions. I think that's a really big one that when someone is dealing with it, they don't need your judgment. They need your love. That's powerful. That's powerful. You have a compelling story. You've told your story one or two times. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Thousands of times, probably. Mm -hmm. Tell me about, and tell our listeners about what you believe the the, the power of storytelling is. I think that I'm going back to scripture because Jesus spoke in illustrations and parables. And often that's how we would get across to people. And when I go and speak or I teach or people come up to me and say, Christy, when you said that part in the book, it's always a story. It's always something that they can, they, it, it helps people remember what you've been through. You can throw out a million facts. You can throw out all the knowledge right. you know. But if you can connect them to the heart of God with a story, they might remember it for the rest of their lives. What, ob- what sense of obligation do you feel to this? It's a calling. It's a passion. I, I know that this is what I've been called to do with my life. So I wake up every morning excited on who I may get to help, what conversation I might get to have. I look for opportunities. So it's not so much an obligation as it is I get to do this. This is an opportunity. Do you feel like you're a role model? Oh, how would you define role model? That was brilliant, putting that back on me. (laughs) You jerk. (laughs) Okay, a role model would be, I think a role model would be someone who has a story, who they lived something. They've lived a process, a challenge, they've overcome something. They've struggled and found the stuff. In your case, you found Jesus uh, to survive and want to influence and share with other people. So do you feel like a role model with that definition? Yes. How do you, do you feel, um, do you feel stress over that? Do you feel any stress in your burden to share this message? Or how do you, if you do, and if you do, like a good reporter, and, second part, if you do, how do you deal with that? I think when anyone steps in to their purpose, their calling in life, there's a weight to it that's heavy. That heaviness is... wanting to steward that passion well, the giftings well. So do I wake up wondering how can I best use this gift that you've given me? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I think anybody that has a calling in life and knows that they're out there helping, you you want to do it well. And so it's that fine line of striving and going back and reverting to my old ways and chasing after influence and followers and money because that's all still there. It's all still in front of me. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and 
instead of chasing after those things that I know are in me and I'm tempted to do, it's going back to the source and saying, okay, what would you have me do today? Not every opportunity is God. Sometimes it's a distraction. And so I think really staying in step with that is very important. So yeah, there's a weight and a stress to that, 100%. You mentioned, you said this gift mm-hmm. that you've been given. Do you, you think it's been, it was a gift that you were given anxiety and stress and 18 months of hell? Is that a gift? I think God allowed that. He did not give that to me. I think he allowed that to take place. And then what happened is he turned all things around for good. So what's the gift? The gift was what I learned in the trial. The gift was coming to know my Lord and Savior. The gift was realizing, oh my gosh, I went. I thought I was going to be a musical theater major, but really he had been, you know, showing me my whole life that he was going to use that for good. And now I get to public speak and teach and travel all over the place and, and use those giftings that he's given me. Do you speak to both faith-based and non-faith-based groups? I do. Okay. Do you find that there's a difference in, <clears throat> in how that message is received? The interesting thing about fear and anxiety is it's pretty universal. It is. It's everywhere, man. <laughs> and nobody likes it. It's a thing that is such a burden that they're very open to hear. How did you overcome it, Christy? So it's a very easy door to walk through sometimes, 99% of the time. And sometimes I think what you mentioned before, with you know, one of the things that you feel disillusioned about the church, maybe not, I don't know if you said disillusioned, but you're like angry, is that that message of, of mental health isn't often well received in churches. So do you find that it's very well received in a, in a non in a secular environment that that it's easier or it's more uh, accepted in principle in a secular environment the idea of mental health and, and challenges with it anxiety depression yeah it's a really good question and in fairness to the church they're not clinicians they haven't been trained I'm actually going through a course right now where it's teaching me how to educate the church on mental health because they're not doctors. They're right. not physicians. They're right. not licensed professional well, people counselors. have high expectations of pastors. But they do have high expectations of pastors. So it, it's, not, it, it's not that the church is meaning to do this. I just don't think that we're educated enough. So, But where you're asking me that question is in the secular world, they're very educated on mental health. Yeah. They have HR and like everybody knows about anxiety. Everybody knows about depression. I mean, it's you don't you, you could get sued if you messed with somebody that was dealing. So it's like they're... It's, there's way more of an awareness and an education on it. So when I step into those spaces, they're like, please help us. We've got right. th- 13 people that are struggling with this right now. I th- I'm, I'm way wrong. Am, am, am I stuck on your... Yeah. My chair is stuck on her headphone cord. <laughs> Hang on. This is real life. <laughs> this is real as it gets. It's like my neck is kind of struggling right now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rescue you. Oh. Okay, so I kind of, I also I also believe that in a yeah my my chair wheel was caught on her headphone <laughs> cable and she's like drawing closer like <laughs> sorry about that but I I feel like in the secular world it's almost like um 
you know, we have safe spaces. Mm-hmm. Have we gone too far? Mm-hmm. What do you mean safe spaces? Have we gone too far? You know, we, we have, <clears throat> like, we have such disillusionment on, and I don't want to get into a political side, but, you know, gender, and mm-hmm. we, you know, we let boys into girls' bathrooms, and every, we're, we're so concerned about the, the quote-unquote mental health of people in, in quite honestly, a, a, maybe in a detrimental way. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that a secular world would be more open to the discussion. Mm-hmm. Do you find that you almost have to help to redefine what, what anxiety and depression are, mental, mental health is? You almost have to set the stage for that? Yeah, I think... You're right, because in the secular world, they're gonna they're going to identify peace differently than I identify peace, right. or they're gonna how what your identity is. Um, so there are things that cause anxiety in the secular world that is very difficult to speak to from a non faith base. You talk about the identity thing. I mean, my identity is in Christ, right. and <clears throat> I can't say that. In a secular space, right? Or I can't... They're not going to understand. No, no. Yeah, yeah, I get it. So th- that that must shape how you deliver your message. Yes, yes, yeah. A lot of times when I'm in a secular space, we'll talk more about, like, the smoke alarms and the physical symptoms that I experienced and slowing down and that busyness isn't a badge of honor and those kinds of things that are absolutely biblically rooted principles, but, you know, you don't speak specifically about the faith element. So where in your stride in setting up this foundation, this nonprofit, was there a moment when you felt like you you found your voice in this, in this arena? Do you feel like there was a, a time when you're like, wow, I have I actually have been gifted something and this is my mission. When would maybe the question is when do you feel like you found your voice? I was given the opportunity to share my testimony in a video. And the pastor's wife at the time afterwards, you know, was just in tears and just like, wow, Christy, like this, people need to hear this. Like people need to hear more. And so I think maybe just that affirmation of hearing my testimony for the first time out loud and realizing that it resonated with someone else that, yeah, we needed to do that. We need to talk about it more. Have you been able to inject or interject some of your Christian principles in your talk on mental health to people who have, uh, who maybe wouldn't understand those Christian principles. For, for instance, you know, how have you been able to integrate faith into that talk, into those talks? Well, I, you know, to be in fairness, I, mental health fairs and schools are really the only places that I've been at. I'm, the most of my speaking and what I do is in a Christian space. Okay. So um, I don't have a ton of experience with that. But, you know, really it's just learning how to calm your body, um, slowing down. Right. Those kinds of things is what I'll work on when I talk have about Have you that. read any any books on this? Do you Have you gone to some books for tips on how on public speaking? What are some things? You, are, are you a reader? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Love to read. All right. Are you reading, are, are you, are you reading like, you know, you don't read fiction, do you? <laughs> no, it's all nonfiction. It's all nonfiction. Yes. yes. I say that with like, you know, 40 nonfiction books on my desk. 
What are some things that you've read that, that have helped you to deliver your message more concisely or better? I don't know that I've done a ton of um, reading on public speaking. I haven't done a Not lot. even that, but just <clears throat> in, I mean, nonprofits are nonprofits, but they have to be profitable right. or they don't exist. Right. Right. Uh, what have you read things that books or where where what are some resources you've gone to to help you set up the nonprofit to run it as a business to to I keep the I think it was called um, nonprofit for dummies. It's are like you, a white and yellow seriously? book. Yeah, I'm hundred okay. percent positive of that. <laughs> but it was phenomenal right. because it gave like bylaws. It it like example templates bylaws, of all templates, this. Templates, yeah. all kinds of stuff. I mean, that was fun. I mean, but honestly, it's funny that you asked me that question because. I, one of the main things people will ask me is, how did you start a nonprofit? How did you start a nonprofit? How did you do that? How do you do board of directors? How do you do all that? And I was like, I read the book and the book led me through it. And then I brought on wise people that know how to do it and they helped me do it too. So yeah. You just made me think of something that that was life changing. Um, um, So often we as believers, we say, well, let me pray about that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to pray about this. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we have this book called a Bible Mm -hmm. that gives all these instructions. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you don't need to pray about it. You just need to do what God has told you to do. Completely agree with you. You just need to do it. And you made me think of that because it's like, well, I just followed the instructions. Right. I just did it. How do you put together your kid's bike at Christmas? Well, you... Follow, you probably follow the instructions. Your husband just wings it. No, it's the other way around. It's the other way around? Yes, yes. Good for him. He reads the instructions and gets mad at me because I don't Because I'm the instruction them. reader at okay. home, too. So, um, <clears throat> so, yeah, how'd you put together the nonprofit? Well, I bought a book that showed me how and I did it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not hard mm-hmm. when you want to accomplish something. How did you grow in faith? Well, I read the book. Mm-hmm. It's good. I just read the book. Preach. Right? Um, <clears throat> so... Your, your mission promotes uh, values of mental health. What are some practical, what's some practical advice or strategies that people who want to initiate meaningful conversations about mental health in their own communities or their families? What are some strategies or tips, some practical things that you could give people? I think always meeting the person where they're at currently. And that's going to take some investigation. Like, you're going to have to ask them, how are you doing? How can we help you? What is What are you needing right now most? And I think we miss that part. We just want to jump into fixing, 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 fixing that I have not seen one case of anxiety that looks the same. Not one. Yeah. So there's not just this blanket thing that we can do, and it's it's the discipleship model that comes in. You know, Mike, years ago we were doing meetings where five, 600 people would show up. At, at one point we had a meeting with like 1,200 women that came to this. And what I was realizing is we could not help people transform their lives with that many people in a room, especially if they're dealing with fear and anxiety and depression. And I just kept feeling God saying, smaller, smaller smaller to now it's like I've got women coming over my house on Monday nights six at a time where I'm pouring into them teaching them and it's it's more of a discipleship model and I think we've gotten this this consumer mindset where we just go to a church and we grab it we get the message and it's for me and we go home 
we're missing the community. We're missing the discipleship. We're missing that transformation element. So I think if, if you, if you're trying to integrate or do something with mental health in your community, go small, go small, go one-on-one. That's powerful. People want to, people want to get a million followers, 10,000 followers, 5,000 Facebook friends. Let's max it out, baby. That's not what Jesus did. How many people did he surround himself with? He had the 12, the 72, and the multitudes. Right. There were his core. Mm-hmm. Peter, James, and John was the center. Yep. And then the rest of them. Mm-hmm. You know, the professor and Mary, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? The rest of them. <laughs> and then it was their job. Mm-hmm. And then it was their job. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we all want the accolades, right? We want... We want the significance of having that following. But the people who influence people are the ones, I believe, that your movement is so powerful and so on point. And it is impactful because you understand that life is in the living Mm -hmm. with the neighbor. Mm -hmm. It's in the community. Mm -hmm. It's in the inviting somebody over. It's that's where it's in the two hour conversation. That's where it's at. So, so, um, I think you, I think a lot of your podcasts have been like 20 minutes, 29 minutes, 30 minutes. And do you think I need to go longer? No, 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 not at all. I think they're wonderful. But when I started my podcast, I thought it was going to be like 30 minutes. And that first one, it was like 90 minutes in and we're still talking. And here we are at 132. And I feel like we're just beginning. Yeah. Um, but, it's not about the max. You know, I, sure, we get significance. We have human needs. You know, <clears throat> we have love. We have um, contribution. We have significance. We have variety. We have, we have um, consistency, these human needs, right? But boy, I tell you what, that significance, uh, the world tells you significance comes from having this huge following, all these accolades. But God says... We're made for individual connection. Mm -hmm. We're made to have relationships with people. And it's not much of a relationship to have a million followers. I don't have a million followers. But that's not much of a relationship. That's not real influence. You have a platform now. And you have a platform to shape perceptions and even behaviors, perhaps. How do you ensure that, that your message remains authentic and true in that platform? One of the hardest things for me to do now is admit when I'm having panic and anxiety since I'm the girl that helps people overcome fear and anxiety. And so I've made a promise to myself that when I experience what I call aftershocks, so in an earthquake, you yeah. have the big event yeah. and then you have an aftershock. Yeah. I had my nervous breakdown. I still have aftershocks. Yeah. And I think it's important to let people into that pain and that struggle still that I haven't overcome this. This is something that I used to struggle with very, very deeply. And every now and then I will have an aftershock. But to be really honest when those things come up. So I think remaining authentic in that, that, hey, I'm still... (laughs) Obviously, I'm human. I'm a sinner. I'm going to mess things up. And so, and when I, when I will share a story about a setback or an aftershock, it seems to resonate very, very deeply with people. 
Because you're giving them permission to have an aftershock and not be perfect themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's important to be given a torch by God. And you were given a torch, right? And so was somebody else in Kentucky and someone else in Michigan. Right. And someone else, you know. <clears throat> we don't have to be so unique that we're the only one. We're one of many that have been called by God to lead others. And you are. And, man, that message, I think that's, I think that's probably the, the most powerful thing you've said all afternoon is when it comes to being authentic and being true is the vulnerability, is to letting people see your scars and your failures. Yep. I think that's powerful. Wow. That'd be a great one to end on, but I got more. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) What are some pressing mental health issues facing society today that that you see? Is there something that's moving you beyond your initial scope? Or like now that your mind is in tune with this, you know, like when you buy a red car, suddenly everybody's got red cars, right? Mm-hmm. So now that you're in tune with this mental health thing, mm-hmm. and mental health is much more than anxiety and depression, mm-hmm. but your on-ramp onto the highway was anxiety. Mm-hmm. What else are you seeing? Some other things that are pressing today with mental health. I am deeply concerned for our youth and what's happening with them. Social media is a deep concern of mine that I think there's a huge correlation between the addiction to our smartphones and what it's doing to this generation, quite frankly, us as well. Yeah. And how disconnected we are to the human heart and the conversations. I think another thing that I'm really um, pressing into is Sabbath. Taking a day to be still, teaching people how to do that. It's a foreign concept that nobody has any interest in doing. So when I talk about it, I right. s- people just right. turn their heads like, yeah, I don't have time for that. So th- those, those, but how that correlates to mental health is huge. It's huge. So I'm digging into that. That time in the morning has to be powerful too. Yes. That first, those first moments when your mind is fresh. Mm-hmm. What is the difference that you see when you take that time? And there, probably been, there have probably been times because of some sort of kid thing, some sort of school thing, some sort of something <clears throat> interrupted that on a random Tuesday and you didn't get, to, didn't get your time. What, is, what have you noticed about that time that, that has made a contribution in your life? <clears throat> Inevitably, anytime I don't get it, my day seems to be crabbier. So it's really good for your family. It is. It's 100% <laughs> it's good for my... Good for your husband and kids for you to get that time. It, it just that It's like a prescription you can't overdose on, right? If yeah. you'll just sit still and be calm and think. Here's the other thing. We're not thinking anymore. Sometimes I will just sit there and do nothing. Just sit there. And we, but our minds are so revved up because we're thinking, we're, we're scrolling, we're doing all this stuff. It's like, can you just sit and think? And, and sometimes some of my best ideas for, you know, writing or speaking or, um, you know, a study that we're preparing for will, will just drop in just because I'm willing to sit and think. Do you follow a schedule? 
pretty much. <laughs> Schedule it. Yeah. I saw, uh, about a year ago, um, my I finally admitted that I needed help, and Good I hired an assistant. Good for you. So, you've corresponded with Rachel. She's my work wife. Yes. <laughs> she handles my schedule. I just do what she tells me. Good. And I asked her, maybe eight or nine months ago, at least twice a week, put in 30 minutes of time at your, your discretion that it's at least 30 minutes of time to think. Mm-hmm. And through my calendar, I never know what day or time because she controls my calendar <laughs> from, <clears throat> for the hours that I've allotted for professional endeavors. She controls that. And she puts in two blocks every week of time to think. Good. That's awesome. <laughs> and you know what I do? I stop. And you think. And I think. Good. And sometimes I don't think. But it's just time to do nothing. That time is powerful. How has it changed your life? And it just not aside from the silliness, the crabbiness, right? Aside from that, how has that changed your life? I will never forget the day that my schedule was back to back and there was no margin and I was grabbing something from Walmart and I was going to my next appointment and I walk outside and I see this woman bawling inside of her vehicle and I know Christy stop stop talk to that woman offer something to her offer to pray for her but my schedule was so busy that I could not stop and so I, I met with a mentor once and she said, you know, you need at least 20% margin in your day and you need some white space on your calendar. Well, I think ministry takes more. I think ministry takes 40% margin and because ministry is about people. It's not about processes. It's not about procedure. It's about people. And so I've realized that the more margin I have in the day, the better I am to the people I love and serve. So I... I, I cannot, I, there's a lot of white space on my calendar. So I feel like that that's super important. So maybe you can tell Rachel to put more than 30 minutes in. Well, it's 30 minutes twice a week. And I do take, I do, I do take a little bit less than I used to, but being a, a business owner, I, my staff takes care of most of the business. Yes. I get up and I spend probably three hours every morning. That's fantastic. Of rest, prayer. Reading. Reading. Sometimes, like, and I'll admit it, sometimes I get stuck in the TikTok video doom. And I don't want to say that's healthy because it's not, but it's also, that's just part of me who I am. Mm -hmm. I do, I like social media and the power of it, and I I appreciate the the power of the influence of it. So... I learned from that. I learned how to make better reels, better TikToks, better <clears throat> to reach more people with my message of mm-hmm. bone health and muscle health and ministry, of course. But it's probably now about two to two and a half hours, five days a week, with the exception of Friday. I don't work Fridays at all anymore, Saturday or Sunday. So Friday is probably, I probably get to squeeze in about five or six hours of me time, That's of just amazing. mental time. And that's a gift from God because, you know, there were those years building the businesses that I worked the 80s like you and I burnt myself out yeah. and, I, and I damaged my marriage. I damaged my children. Yeah. I damaged them. Yeah. And some of, the, some of those aftershocks 
are still coming Mm -hmm. because of that. Mm -hmm. So now what you're doing is so powerful. And what I hope some of our listeners do as a result of this is, hey, if you have 10 minutes, put the phone down, do nothing. Yeah. And then 12. Yep. And then 14. Yep. Yeah. So, and you mentioned mentors. Who who are some role models or mentors that you've uh, focused on to help you in your journey to to preach the, the gospel of, of faith and mental health and awareness and things like that. Yeah, you know, you've got the big hitter, power influencers, the podcasters that I'm listening to. Carrie Newhoff is a podcast I almost never miss, and it's a leadership podcast. So I listen to that one on the regular. That one has been amazing. Uh, a book by Wayne Cordero, it's called Leading on Empty, one of the best, most powerful books I've ever read and it you know if you're in burnout mode and you're doing too much I highly recommend that book um John Mark Comer has a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry read it three times one of the best books I've ever it's incredible as well and then as far as mentors I've always got some I've got somebody in my life that knows business better than I do that I'll go to I've got somebody in my life that's way further along you know, in the theology world and, and understands Christianity. And all, so I, I've got somebody there. So I, I just always try, you know, there is, there is wisdom in a multitude of yes. counselors. So you have, you've surrounded yourself with people <clears throat> who love you, probably, who you trust. They've earned your trust. They've earned your love. You've earned theirs. And they want to help you. What's, the, what's been the power of that tribe around you? In your life. It's invaluable. I mean, there is no way I could do what I'm doing today without the wise people around me. And, and, and you want people smarter than you because you're going to experience things that you are going to have no idea what to do. And when you've surrounded yourself with people like that, they can hold your hand through it. They can help you through it. So it, I mean, so important when you are the smartest person in the room, it's not good. It's the wrong room. <clears throat> we often forget, especially as as business leaders or nonprofit leaders, we forget and we believe in our self-sufficiency, right? Mm-hmm. We believe, well, I built this. Mm-hmm. And and you know, to a large part, it was our it was our drive, it was our passion, and we and, and we're the ones that drove. Uh, as a leader, <clears throat> as a visionary. It's easy for me to see, and I'm the driver of the ship, right? I'm the captain. Well, I did this. Well, if I'm, if I'm honest, I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. It was, well, first the guy who invented the technology. Mm-hmm. Then it was my, my wife who encouraged me and counseled me. She's brilliant. My wife is brilliant. Um, <clears throat> it was trusted friends. It was believers. It was non-believers who are in my circles. It was people encouraging me when I failed. And that circle, uh, how many how many people you have around you? I mean, it's at least ten of of just at any given point. Like, I need wisdom here. I'm going to go here. I need right. wisdom here. I'm going to go here. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a thing in all of these books that we read. And you can't have too many either. That they they have. In order for people to be able to speak into your life and the kind of levels of stuff that we're talking about right now, you have to be careful because 
if you're just taking any wisdom, anything from, I mean, you can learn from anyone. That's not what I'm saying, but I, I'm talking about like your inner core, the trusted the, tribe, your yes, tribe. Yes, yes, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, and and what I've learned from reading is that like you're is that you're a product of the five people you're surrounded yeah, with. Yeah, yeah, and you know that. So who are those people? You know, well, it's somebody who, like you said, is further along. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I don't like to say it from a deficit mindset, but you don't, you, you know, I, I want to be the dumbest person in the room. Absolutely. And, but I want those really smart people, I want them to be ones that love and care about. And, and also, maybe they support the mission, maybe they, they don't, but they care about the outcome. Yeah. Right. So that's a powerful that's a powerful um, idea of giving up self sufficiency, and that is a Christian principle. And you can be a non Christian and believe that we ha- we put together a team and we do things, but invariably it's always invariably it's been a Christian principle the giving up of self. <clears throat> and so, what does that mean to you in faith to reach the end of you and to become a new creation? Or have you thought, do you think of it that way? In, in a faith perspective, you know, you die to self and you're reborn with I Christ. I think the best thing that happened to me was to come to the end of me. Right. Because Christy Bowler couldn't do it. Christy Bowler had a nervous breakdown. Christy Bowler was suicidal in the corner of her room. Yeah. So coming to the end of me was the best thing that's ever happened to me. And it was by the grace of God that I got there, you know, in 2011 because I would still be that selfish, driven, career-achieving, crazy, kicking butt, kicking names kind of girl. And, and that's, that's not a healthy way to live. Mental health advocacy is, that's got to be really challenging. And it comes with a, with a lot of stigma, right? Mental health does. What are some things that have been helpful for you in breaking down that stigma? Have you have you found things that have been helpful in your in your discussions, in your podcasts, in your meeting with people? What's what's helpful? What's a tangible tool that you can give someone right now if they believe their mother, their father, their brother, their cousin, their sister, their son, their daughter may have some mental health issues. What's something that they can they some that end of the rope, that hope at the end of the rope? What is it something that you can give them a tool? One of the things that I think we don't do well is talk about it. And it seems so simple. But it's if if anything I said today you're like, I think my daughter's dealing with this, or I think my husband's dealing with this, or whoever it might be, don't be afraid to have the conversation. For some reason, there is a stigma. And it's like, oh, I can't talk about your anxiety or I can't talk about the dark thoughts that you're having. But our thoughts matter. They matter. And we don't correlate how important it is to talk about our thoughts. And so I think we kind of isolate and we pretend that it doesn't exist or we ignore the warning signs or we pretend like they're not that big of a deal because everybody has it. And that's dangerous. What? We got to wrap it up pretty quick. I can go on. We, we need to do another one. <clears throat> but we've been here. We've been it's an hour and fifteen. Give us minutes. the closing. Give us the closing question. Well, couple. Well, we got. I want. I want to get. I want to hear what message or words of encouragement you would give someone 
um, for our listeners who might be struggling with their mental health individually or seeking to make a positive change in their lives? You're not alone. It is so isolating to be out on that island of, I'm dealing with this. I don't want anyone to know. I've always been the strong person in the room. I can't be vulnerable. And I want you to know you're not alone. You're not the only one that is dealing with this. And if you will, just be courageous and step out and say, I'm struggling with this. That's there's, powerful. There's hope on the other side. Yeah. We, we think we're, we're, you know, we are unique individuals, but we have the same struggles in life. Life has been, we've had the same struggles since the dawn of time. We, you know, temptation, um, struggle, sin, fear, all the things. That's powerful. Thank you for that. You're not alone. Not alone. So some fun questions. Oh, here we go. What's your favorite holiday movie? Uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Why did I not see that coming? <laughs> What's been your least favorite job ever? Kentucky Fried Chicken. Really? Yeah. What didn't you like about it? It was, you smelt like crusty chicken every time you left. <laughs> what, um, what's an insult you received that you're actually proud of? Mm, if there is. You're bossy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what do people misunderstand most about you? That I really do have a tender heart. Okay. If you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be? That I love Jesus. Oh, praise God. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? Cancun. <laughs> Isn't that where the struggle began? Yes. Isn't that odd? Uh, crazy. Um, what was your favorite subject in school? I would say probably music, choir, one of, one of those, yeah. If you won $10 million tomorrow, what would you spend it on? And let's say you had to spend it. All of it. I would create the dream that I have in my heart for a soul center and inpatient facility for mental health. What's your biggest pet peeve? Farting. <laughs> That's a peeve? <laughs> we all do it. We can't not. You can control it. So just go outside. Like my boys, they do it all the time and they just laugh. They think it's so funny. I'm like, you have the muscles to go away and try. Now, if in the car, I get it. But like they just let it rip. But I'm like, you don't have to let that rip. If you had to eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? This is a bad one, but probably Velveeta shells and cheese. Oh, that's horrible. <laughs> it's a horrible one. What is a book that you would recommend for someone who is struggling with, with mental illness or maybe? My book? <laughs> would that be all right to say? Nervous of course it is. And, and then if you want a more clinical one, uh, he's not with us anymore, but his name is Dr. Archibald Hart. It's called The Anxiety Cure. It's a great book. Tell us about your book real quick. And where can you buy it? You can buy it on Amazon. You can get it from our website. You What's can, it called? Uh, Nervous Breakthrough, Finding Freedom from Fear and Anxiety in a World that Feeds It. Okay. What's one question you wish I would have asked you? Hmm. What are you struggling with now? What are you struggling with now? I am struggling with finding my voice in the church. Where can listeners find you online? They can find me online at fearlessunite.com. You can, I actually have a website too, christybolware.com. Instagram, I'm pretty active there, Christy and Bullware. So all the socials, 
Just search you up. Search me up. And they're going to get some content. They're going to get some content. Awesome. Do you have any questions for me? Why did you start the podcast? Because I wanted to understand the differences in the minds and hearts of people who desire to influence others. And it can be in anything. I've interviewed city councilmen, mayors, business owners, um, leaders of women groups, leaders of men's groups. Um, I just, I want to, I love the power of influence. Mm. And <clears throat> I love it because it can be used for good, not evil. Mm-hmm. I mentioned to you before we started that I've been in sales in roles, sales t- in, in, as a musician, you're a salesman. You're on stage playing, you're a salesman. You're putting on a show. You're selling a product. And there's power in influence. I teach my staff here how to use influence for good, not evil. How to help people to make decisions that are healthy. Do this, don't do this. These are, this is what we found by doing this. Mm-hmm. And to ask questions to encourage people to do good and healthy things. Uh, you can lead people to water, but it's better if you give them the tools they need and the why to drink. That's right. And you're doing that. You're helping people drink the refreshing water of faith of Jesus Christ, the refreshing water of of releasing the dirt and muck and vile contempt of mental health issues. Mm-hmm. And that's powerful. So much like you, I just wanted to help people. And I think if people learn how to use influence, and influence is a tool that can be used for evil. Oh, yeah. Evil is alive and well in our culture, in our world, all over the world, and it has influence. So how can we use that tool against the, the great deceiver, right? We can use the tools that Jesus, uh, of Jesus, right, to influence through the, the onesie-twosies. And I, if you're listening to this, I hope you take some encouragement by her story because it's powerful. I'm sitting in front of an absolutely lovely, empowered, strong, but weak and driven individual, and she's given you guys some amazing tools. So listen to her story, uh, christybulware.com, thefearlessunite.com. Consume this content, and uh, I um, thank you so much for listening, and God bless you guys, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you liked the show, and if you did, please hit the like button and share it with your friends. 